0: As uh, Steve said, we are finishing up a series that we've been doing throughout the summer called Legacy, and we tend at the church to to do uh, series. We kind of will preach through a book or think about a theme, and usually for me, when we're at the end of a series, I'm generally ready to move on. You know, we've kind of done that series, and let's go on to the next thing. But I have to say, with this particular book, 1 Thessalonians, for me, it's it's sort of like a novel that I wish there were a few more chapters in. Uh, For me, ending this series is a little bit uh, bittersweet, in part because the letter that Paul wrote to the Thessalonian church is so incredibly encouraging. Uh, You may remember that this was a very young church that Paul had planted, and he became, we're told, very close friends with the people here, even though he was only there for a short time. And at some point along the way, his life was threatened, and Paul was forced to leave the church, and he he says to them, I was torn away from you in person, but not in heart. And what he said to these people is, my heart is always with you no matter what. And so for me, the words that he said just have extra meaning because we know how he felt about these people. So today what I want to do is I want to just give you some final thoughts that we take from this letter. I'm going to try to move fast and keep it quick. And then we're going to sing some more. And I want to give us as a church an opportunity to respond to what we've learned from the book of First Thessalonians as we've thought about our legacy. So we're going to have a little opportunity to do that later, which I'm really looking forward to. It's quite meaningful in the first service. Don't know if it will be in the second service, but uh, I, I have a feeling that it will. Well, this section that we're looking at fits the theme that we've been looking at uh, of legacy incredibly well. Uh, If you've been here, you know that the question uh, of this series that we've been doing is not the question, will you leave a legacy? We all leave a legacy. Every person does. You can't help but leave a legacy with those who come behind you. The question of this series has been, what kind of a legacy will you leave? Uh, to your children, to your friends, to your community, to your church. What kind of legacy will you leave? And... Will you take what you've been given from those who have come ahead of you and pass it on to those who follow you? And what we're going to learn today from this passage, I believe, is three things that Paul talks about that kind of make up a church that really leaves a legacy. And what's interesting is there's kind of three big points and then there's three little points underneath three of those big points. There's a lot of threes that we're going to talk about this morning. But Paul starts out this way. A church that leaves a legacy together, he's going to tell us, first of all, appreciates those who have left a spiritual legacy with us. Uh, He tells us to appreciate those who have left a spiritual legacy with us. So look again at verse 12. He says, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and who are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Uh, A church that leaves a legacy is a church that appreciates the legacy that have been left to them. Uh, As I studied this passage a little bit this week... The context of the people that he's probably talking about in the church in Thessalonica was their elders at the time. Uh, they were a, a smaller church. They weren't quite as developed as far as leadership goes, but they did have elders. And those elders had had to do kind of a hard thing with some of the people. Some of the people in the church knew that Christ would be coming back soon, so they decided just to kind of kick back and relax and not do anything and just live off of the support of some richer Christians who were in the congregation. And and so the elders had to say, you know, kind of like, get up and let's get going and let's get moving here. It was hard for those elders to have to have done that. And so I think in part Paul is sharing this to build those particular elders uh, back up. In our church here, his words would be true for elders, but it would also, I, I believe, have a more broad application to other leaders who are a part of the church as well. And what Paul says is he says that we ought to appreciate people in a church who do three things. And the first thing he says is that we should appreciate people who work hard among us. Uh, When you see a person in the church who makes a big investment, we are to appreciate it. Now, there are many, 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 many people in our church who work very hard to make our church what it is. Uh, There are people who come early, early. There are people who come late. There are people in this church who invest in many, many ways. Uh, I'll give you an example. This is actually a real example that I remember hearing about Just It was like a year ago or something. I've got the details mostly right, I think. This is a person who is a community group leader who is telling me about their week, and they said, like on Tuesday, they got home from uh, a long day at work, spent some time with their family, and they spent two hours kind of preparing for their group the next night. They studied the passage. They got their questions together. They prayed for the group. They went to bed, got up, went to work that next day, Wednesday, got home, ate dinner with their family, prepared for the group to come over. Over to their house led that group which was another two or three hours and during the group there was an issue that came up with a person in the group and the leader said why don't we meet for breakfast tomorrow morning or the next day or whatever it is and then that leader got together with that person to have breakfast with them to kind of apply what had been talked about in that group and I thought man that's a person who is working really really hard and Paul says when we see that we appreciate that we acknowledge that and he says it's not just people who work hard he says also people who are over you in the lord Uh, now some of this is is kind of a a position but um, much of it carries the theme that these are the people who care for us in the lord Uh, these are the people who care for our uh, spiritual condition and they are interested in the relationship of god with god that other people have and experience A good word for this would be a a shepherd, right? Somebody who who cares for their their sheep and who feeds them and helps them and guides them and encourages them and protects them and comes alongside of them. And again, an example would be this, this leader who had breakfast with this person who was in their group. They took a shepherding role there in that person's spiritual life. So he said, we appreciate people who work hard among you, people who care for you in the Lord and are over you. They're your shepherd. And he says, also those who admonish you. He says, we're to appreciate people who admonish us. Now, admonishment carries with us this this idea of those who urge us forward in the Christian life. They exhort us. Sometimes what they do is they come alongside of us and they, they warn us of things that they feel we need to see. Uh, These are people who speak the truth to us, but they also do it in love. They're not afraid to speak the truth, but they do it in a tender, caring way that's in that person's best interest. Now, the truth is, we don't always like to be admonished, do we? We all need it at times, don't we? We all need to be exhorted at times in life, and a good shepherd is someone who doesn't enjoy admonishing people either a good shepherd's not somebody who's kind of looking for a fight or or looking to take out the whip and just get people moving but a good shepherd is someone who also is not afraid to do it and so paul says that we ought to recognize that the people that say hard things to us have a hard time in doing that. It's never easy to admonish a person. And he says we ought to appreciate it and and be open to it and listen to it. And, you know, for myself, if I ever come up here on the stage and I have food on my mouth, I want someone to tell me. And in the same way, when we're a part of a church, if there's something that we need to see that we aren't seeing, we want those people in our lives to admonish us, and we should appreciate those who do. And he says, for those people who work hard, for those people who uh, care for our, our hearts spiritually, shepherd us, and for those who admonish us, he says, we ought to acknowledge them, just be grateful to them, appreciate them. He says we should hold them in high regard in love because of their work. And that last part is very interesting. He says hold them in high regard in particular because of their work. And what's interesting about that is I think what he's saying is even if you don't particularly like that person or you're not particularly close to that person, he says at least appreciate the work that they do and acknowledge it. And so what you have is you have him beginning by saying that we ought to have gratitude, excuse me, appreciation and love for the people who leave a legacy with us. We appreciate those who... Their their thumbprint is on our lives. Secondly, he says that we ought to treat people within the church, all of us, with kindness and wisdom, and we ought to do it according to their particular needs. We treat people with kindness and with wisdom according to their particular needs. If you look at the end of uh, verse 13 and then verse 14, he says, Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idol... Encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with them all. Okay? Again, Paul says the kind of church that makes an impact is the church that is filled with people who are living at peace with each other. Uh, It's a place where everyone is trying to be patient and forgiving and understanding towards each other. And if there's conflict, or I should say when there's conflict, We seek to work out that conflict in in a godly sort of way. And if we need to, we bring other people in who can help us. Uh, We have leadership within the church who would be happy to sit down with two parties and to try to objectively solve whatever the problem is. But Paul says unresolved arguments and competitions and grudges, uh, they don't belong in the church. Not that we don't have those things, okay? Those things develop. We're, we're, we're sinners, right? But when they do, we seek to deal with them individually and we seek to deal with the other person. And he says that, that there's a certain culture at the church that everyone ought to have and it, it has to do with how we treat people in the church who are struggling, uh, you could do a whole sermon on this next little sentence that Paul gives. You could do a whole series on it, and it would be a really great series, I think. But I think what he says here is that you can really tell a lot about a church by how they treat struggling people. I mean, that is, that is so true. If, if you're looking for a different church other than ours, or if you're um, you know, new to our church, you can tell so much about a church By how they deal with people who are struggling. And so Paul gives three different categories of people who are struggling in different ways. And he says, this is how the church ought to treat them. And he says, first of all, there are some people who are idle, right? There's some people who should be moving, but they're not. They're just kind of uh, poking around, and they're window shopping in the Christian life when they really ought to be moving. And Paul says that as a church, if we see idle people, what we ought to do is we ought to admonish them, okay? And and what that means is, it, it means encouraging the person to take the car, so to speak, out of idle, to put it into gear, and to begin to move, Again, you find Paul leaving room for this kind of caring confrontation. Uh, somebody told me between services that she likes the word "carefrontation." She puts those two things together, and, and I think that is what Paul means. He, he says, "In love." Idle people, what we need to do is to point out to them their error and encourage them to move in a better direction. If we see somebody going down the wrong path, or in this case, not going down any path, he says, don't be afraid to speak up. We all need that at times. And so that's something that we do for each other. And one of the questions for every church is, is the church strong enough to admonish idle people. It takes a strength of character in a church that we would love people in a way that's hard to love, right? So Paul says when we see idle people, we admonish them, we encourage them, we challenge them, try to motivate them. Secondly, he says that there are those in the church who are faint-hearted, Okay? These are the people in a church who they're trying to live the Christian life, but they're just discouraged. It might be the circumstances of life that, that have them down, or they're just not feeling close to God at the time, or they'll be growing distant in their relationships. And Paul says the way that you treat those people is you encourage them. Those are the people in a church that need deep encouragement from others in the church. Uh, these people, if you can picture kind of a, a race, a, a big race with lots of runners and lots of crowds, these are the people who, they're, they're in the race, but you can just tell by their face that they're running out of steam, and they want to run, but they just don't have what it takes to do it, right? Uh, idle, people, idle people are just kind of poking around, and they should be running. Discouraged people, they, they just don't have it in them. And so Paul says that what the church does is it gathers around people like that and, and those who don't know that person very well are maybe on the sidelines uh, uh, cheering them on and trying to encourage them and trying to give them cold water and, and praying for them. And others who might be closer to them running with them are the ones who who come up to them and put their arms around them and, and whisper words of life and encouragement and hope and, and truth into their ears. We are to encourage people in our church who are faint-hearted. And the question for a church then is this. Is Are the people in the church compassionate enough to do that? Do we notice those who are faint-hearted among us and do we seek to encourage them? And finally, Paul says that there's another category of people in the church and, and those are the people who are weak, who are weak, and I love this about Paul. Again, this is his tender heart. He says, for weak people, what we do is we help them. We help the weak. That's one of the things that the church does. When you see there's a person who's in the race that cannot run anymore, uh, other people in that church carry them, right? Right? We do whatever we can to help them and it might mean that we bear their burdens in love. We take care of them and love them. And the question for the church in that sense is are we sacrificial enough to do that? If you have a church who's admonishing the idle and encouraging the faint-hearted and helping the weak, then you have a church that's strong and you have a church that's compassionate and you have a church that is sacrificial. And Paul wants us to be that kind of church where no idle person, uh, no disheartened person, and no person who is weak is, is left behind or ignored, but we care about them. They, they don't get lost. And he says at the end of this little section, he says, you got to do this with patience right idle people discouraged people weak people do not change overnight uh for them it's going to take some time and it's going to take some love and it's going to take some encouragement and 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 when the church offers these things to people that that need it um you have a church that is just very powerful and you have a church that that god really uses to leave a legacy Well, finally, the last thing that he says is that a church that leaves this kind of legacy cultivates an atmosphere of joy and of gratitude, right? In that kind of church, there's an atmosphere. It's just part of the framework of the whole place of joy and and gratitude. Uh, Look at verses 15 through 18. He says, See to it that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Okay? So the the atmosphere of the church, Paul says, is one of forgiveness. And as we accidentally wrong each other, we work it out, we solve it, we attempt to be peacemakers, we don't return evil for evil. Uh, just because a person treats me sinfully does not mean that I have the right to treat them uh, sinfully, right? I treat them the way that God would want me to treat them, not the way that they deserve to be treated. And he says it's a place where everyone is striving to do good for each other. And I've got to tell you, in this church, I see this all the time. Um, I'll, I'll just give you one of a million examples, but we, we recently had a funeral lunch at this church, and um, Sheila Conley kind of organized that and led that. And it was wonderful. Um, the, the church gathered around each other, and people brought things, and people helped set up. And it looked so nice downstairs. Well, one thing that I noticed, and this, was, this meant a lot to me, even just beyond all the other stuff I just shared was the, the lunch was happening in our fellowship hall, which is kind of our, our multi-purpose room slash gym slash everything that happens in the church happens there. And the, the teenagers play this game called poop deck where they run back and forth and they pound their hands into the walls. Well, some of the like plaster along the drywall had fallen off, and so you've got this painted room and then this big, ugly splotch of white drywall that was there. Well, somebody thought, man, we can't have this funeral lunch with a white splotch on the wall, and they came and they painted it, right? I don't even know who that was, but I just thought, this, is, this isn't just doing good, this is striving to do good, this is above and, and beyond, and, and that's really neat, that was just very encouraging to me, I know that happens a lot around here, so whoever did that, thank you, appreciate it. But he says that there's three things that make up this atmosphere that the people of the church are to do all the time. And these things are great things, okay? This is the kind of church that Paul wants us to be. He says, first of all, he says, we are to be a place that rejoices always. The people of God, he says, are to rejoice always. Now, in the Christian life, there is always something to rejoice about. That's, that's one thing that the Bible tells us again and again. In the Christian life, because of what Christ has done, there is always something to rejoice about. Uh, we talked about one of those things last week, this whole uh, theological concept called eternal security, right? Right? which teaches that if you have trusted that you're a sinner, there's nothing you deserve or have done that that gives you right relationship with God or, or brings you to heaven, but you believe that Jesus died in your place for your sins, that he's the one who ushers you to God, he's the one who pays the debt that you owe to God in life, the Bible teaches you are eternally secure. That everything you could ever want or hope for or dream of, you will one day have and nothing or no one, not even you, can take it away. That's part of eternal security. Eternal security also means that the relationship that I have with God, the way that God views me through his son Jesus, he sees me with the righteousness that Jesus deserves, that gets applied to me, that can never change either. I never have to doubt or question whether or not God loves me and is committed to me and cares about me. I never have to wonder how he thinks of me because my identity is eternally secure. And sometimes in the darkest times of our lives when when things should not feel joyful at all, it is those basic truths of the Christian faith that elevate our joy and give us something to rejoice in in all circumstances. You know, I know for me, this is, this is just a weird truth of life. I'm sure many of you have experienced this too, but when, when I'm experiencing good times in life, generally I'm happy. When I'm experiencing really hard times in life, lows, that's often when I find I'm joyful. And Paul says, we rejoice always. There's always something to have gratitude about. He says another thing that we do is we pray continually, okay? And this just reminds us of the fact that God is not a distant father who never has time for his kids, okay? He's not the father who's always off on a trip or always doing things that are more important or who kind of uh, shows his, his children that uh, they're sort of a second level in his life. He has more important things to take care of. God is pictured in the Bible as the dad who wants to spend time with you. Uh, God is pictured as the father that any time you want to come and sit on his lap and talk to him, he invites it. In fact, he tells us to do it, to pray continually. Okay, so whatever's happening in my life, if it's a wonderful thing, I celebrate it with God. And if it's a terrible thing, I ask him to help me with it. I can always come to God. And that's such a cool thing about our Father, is that he always wants to be in relationship with us. And, and he says, pray constantly. and Pray as much as you can, as much as you want, and, and, and allow your heart to draw itself towards God as much as possible. And finally, he says, give thanks in all circumstances. Every circumstance in life we give thanks. And, and this is not that we're supposed to be like, um, like Christian DJs are always perky. You ever notice that on the radio? They're just always perky. Okay? Not what he's talking about here. What Paul isn't saying is, it's not that, you know, when life isn't going well, just put on a plastic smile and and pretend that everything is great. What gratitude means is that we look at what we have, not just at what we don't have. We look at what we have, not just what we don't have. And the truth is that in the Christian life, Our glasses do not always feel full. But in the Christian life, our glasses are never empty. God never leaves our glasses empty, and we give thanks for that. So Paul says, rejoice all the time. Pray continually. He says, give thanks in every circumstance of life. And then after this, this is maybe like the exclamation point of the whole thing. He says, this is God's will for your life. In other words, he doesn't say, this is just some good advice or these are some things that you ought to keep in mind so that your life will go smoothly. He says, this is what God wants for you. He wants you to have joy and gratitude and, and just to know that you can relate with him and enjoy him all the time. It's Just another way in the Bible that we know that God loves us and we know that he wants good things for us because he tells us, This is what I want for you, not just sometimes, but all the time. And these are the things that make up the atmosphere of a church that leaves a legacy. I'm just going to close this section with this. Um, Many of you would know that I've been coming to this church since I was in third or fourth grade or something like that. Uh, we had a building on Milford Road and M59 when my family first started taking us. And I, my first memory of being in the church was at a work day. And uh, I remember being a little kid making a sandwich and there were two women in the church who was ar- who were arguing over which is better, Miracle Whip or mayonnaise. And the truth is they're, they're really both pretty gross. That's an argument that is sort of a, a pointless one. But um, I have to say, I uh, I... My whole life has been changed by this church. Uh, God could have used any group of people to change my life, but he used this group of people here. And it was through the ministry of Grace Church that I finally realized that I was a sinner, right? Like not just a little sinner, but a big sinner who needed God's grace. And I finally realize in fact I, I still I, I realize this more and more I, I don't think we ever f- finally get it but what it cost God in the death of his son how much he must love me that he would send his own son to the cross for me the the most valuable thing in all the world is God and and yet God was beaten and and broken for me and I, I learned that here when I was younger and I'm I keep learning that here as I as I grow and it was this church this place where I I learned what relationships can be like and, and I finally am starting to understand what it means to have a brother who's not your real brother and a sister who's not your real sister and and when the Bible talks about the church being a, a real family together and, and having those kind of close uh, relationships, I've experienced that here. I, I was, um, just a few weeks ago, I was, I was having a conversation with somebody in the hallway who was visiting the church and and I don't remember what it was that they said, but they said, um, so is this a pretty good church? And some of the memories that I've had of the church, I don't know why, they just sort of floated through my mind. And I was about to just start gushing on our church, and I didn't. I said to this person, you know, I've, I've been here for so long, and I've experienced so much good from this place, from, from these people. I am, I'm really not the person to ask. I said, you really need to go and talk to somebody else. It's like I'm, I'm too biased. I'm, I'm too overwhelmed with appreciation for what God has done through this place. And what I feel uh, here is probably what many of you feel as well. I feel like I owe this place the greatest debt that I could ever repay. It's like I could never begin to repay it. I, I owe that debt to God. Uh, I owe that debt to God's people and I know that, that some of what I've been given, all of what I've been given is just God's grace in my life. He doesn't ask me to repay it. I could never repay it if I tried. But part of why God has blessed me with this place and he's blessed you with this place has to do with stewardship. Stewardship. Uh, there's a very striking phrase, which is the punchline to one of Jesus' parables in the book of Luke. And here's what he says. He says, to whom much is given, much is expected. To whom much is given, much is expected. In other words, one of the reasons why God has given to me is so that I could give to other people. One of the reasons why God has blessed you is so that you could be a blessing to other people. And it is not that we ever repay that blessing, but what God expects us to do is he expects us to take what we've received and to pass it along. As we conclude this series, may it be our joy each one of you who have benefited from God and the people of God, may it be our joy and our mission and our purpose to take all that we've received, to receive it with gratitude and joy, and to seek to to pay it forward, to pass it on, that others might experience the grace and the goodness and the kind of love that, that we have ourselves. That's the mission of the church. That's the mission of Our church. Let's pray. Father, I I thank you again so much for this gospel message, which we are to proclaim, which we are to live in joy and in gratitude and in hope out of. We thank you that you sent your own son to die for us, and though uh, it seems at times that we we were just beginning to understand that uh, ourselves, we want to be a place that helps others to know this truth and to apply it in their lives. Help us to be a church that leaves not just a legacy, but the kind of legacy that has been left with us. We pray that you would empower us to that end and that each person who is a part of our church here would, um, would very seriously see you use them, uh, that your purposes might be accomplished. We thank you and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.